You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde of Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. And big tech, it's on deck. Alphabet, AMD, Microsoft, it is time to show the impact of AI. We'll get you what you need to know ahead of their earnings. Neuralink puts its brain implant technology in its first patient. We have all the details on a big step forward for Musk's company that aims to let humans control computers with their minds. And the culture of crypto, how famed VC Chris Dixon sees the current investment environment for the next era. Of the internet. This is day one of a massive week for the mega cap tech earnings, Karen. And we've got the perfect voice to just highlight what we are expecting from these results, from Alphabet from Microsoft in particular. Tech giants really, as we say, under pressure to live up to that AI hype. Here with the breakdown is Jackie Davalos over there in Washington. And Jackie, just how much are we likely to see any sort of revenue and profit being driven by this investment thus far? It's a big show-me-the-money moment, and we're nearly a year into this AI boom. They have to have some kind of evidence. There's a reason it's a bit harder to quantify because AI is embedded in so many different parts of the business, but there are a few places where we can look to see proof that their AI bets are paying off. For Microsoft, it's that Office 365 co-pilot product. They made this widely available to more consumers and small businesses earlier in January, but even before that, They launched it in September and have really been uh, amping up the hype around how much it can impact productivity. Those subscription figures will be key. For Google, it's a little bit more complex because they have been a little bit slower to push this out into their search tools and their productivity suite. So, But here, we can look at the Google Cloud profit numbers. We saw that hit a new product uh, profitability level last year on the back of that AI startup business that they were capturing. But again, they don't have a clean figure like NVIDIA has their A100 blockbuster chip to really point to for that AI evidence. You've, uh, you've set us up really well in today's Tech Daily. I was looking at the EPS forecast, right? And it's a pretty big range, like Microsoft, 51% EPS growth expected in the quarter gone. Then you compare with, uh, sorry, 19% for Microsoft, 51% for, for Google, Alphabet, the parent of Google. And so let's shift to that Alphabet story because we're super excited. Caroline's excited. I'm excited. You're excited. 
Google is an advertising business. <laughs> That's right. When you think about it, it's their juggernaut. They have to be very strategic when it comes to how they're deploying some of these AI features. Unlike Microsoft, which is more than happy to boost its Bing search engine, only has 3% of the market share, it doesn't really have much to lose. Google here has been looking to kind of take a more experimental approach. And now that you have Gemini coming out in September, investors are going to want to see a plan for how this is making a difference. You're also going to be looking at YouTube figures. Are AI features yielding any fruit when it comes to, you know, that, that search advertising and, and, and the YouTube uh, engagement levels? Is that making a difference? But again, it's a little bit early to tell from the Google front. All right. In the few hours that remain before those companies do post numbers, check out the preview that Jackie Davalos wrote in that newsletter, Bloomberg's Jackie Davalos out of DC. Thank you. Let's keep it going. The conversation next is with Adam Benjamin, Fidelity's tech lead. And, and Adam, let's think about it a bit more holistically. You know, if you go to the index level, S&P 500, across that magnificent seven bucket, and let's strip out Tesla because it's been and gone, we see 46% EPS growth, right? The only comparable sector is utilities. So it's, it's, it is that AI story on paper that's driving the gains. But do you expect to see real terms contribution from AI products this week? Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. So look, I, I think AI is obviously a big overarching trend that's going to play out over many, many years. And uh, we're really early days in this in this evolution. So, you know, what I would say is clearly for your guests and, and, and for your audience, you know, everybody's paying attention to what this earnings season is going to bring. But but this is a journey. And, and what I would say is we're at multiple phases of this. And, and, you know, how we think about this trend, we've been tracking it for many, many years is is really we're at sort of the picks and shovels phase today in terms of the infrastructure and compute that needs to get put in place uh, to train uh, these models and, and eventually put these models in place and, and for production, like you mentioned, Microsoft Copilot, uh, and to get that productivity. Uh, so I, I think uh, this is happening, uh, but it's taking time. Adam, earlier today, we spoke with the chief of Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund. And he reflected on what's been with the AI contribution in the equities market and what's to come. Have a listen to this. We've had a, a huge rally last year and a very large proportion of the returns we had in the fund were from the top top seven companies, right? Now, if you adjust uh, S&P for that, the, the return was something like 12% instead of 26 And you kind of have to ask how long that's going to go on for. Now, I'm, I'm a diehard believer in, in AI and the effect it's going to have on our operations and the world generally, but in terms of valuations of the companies, that's a different question. So that's Nikolai Tangen, and that's his thesis, right? He sees the impact on AI in the real world, but right now he's questioning the valuation of those companies that are driving the story. Are you questioning it? I, I think uh, the way I'm thinking about it is last year was pretty much an AI basket. Right. Everything that had some exposure to AI was a winner. You had a lot of stocks, especially even in Q4, up 40 some odd percent. Um, I think 24 is is really about differentiation and, and, and the fundamentals are going to have to come through for certain companies that are really true AI winners and, and uh, where some will be determined that they really aren't true AI beneficiaries. I mean, last week, for example, we saw Intel report numbers and guidance and it was 
you know, pretty disappointing relative to what the street was expecting. And that was a stock that was up 40 some odd percent in Q4 of last year alone. So, you know, I think we're going to start seeing that differentiation as you go through earnings, but it won't be just this earnings period. It'll be multiple earnings as we go forward throughout the year. I want to ask about concentration risk. And of course, you are someone who is really won out on some of the allocations. Of course, when you're managing overall funds that are, of course, named things like Fidelity Advisor Technology Fund or the VIP Technology Portfolio, Semiconductors Portfolio. These are names that have one, Adam. But the quants over at JP Morgan, for example, are really getting worried about concentration risk. Is that something, do you think these names are vulnerable because they've just become so important to overall benchmarks? Well, look, I mean, I know a lot of people focus on the MAG-7 and they talk about the concentration of technology. I have the benefit of being a a technology-focused investment manager. And so I run, as you mentioned, tech funds, just tech, and then just semiconductors. So I don't really, really focus that much on the concentration as it relates to tech, how it's concentrating the rest of the market. What I would say is, you know, as you look at the MAG-7, you know, they're companies that have a, a broad exposure. I mean, Tesla is focused on the electric vehicle market. Um, you know, Microsoft and AWS uh, and Google are overlapping in the cloud computing market, but they're all different in terms of their core markets with Google and search. And so, uh, you know, really, I think you got to look at them as independent companies that have really amazing business models and that the overarching theme is that they are benefiting and getting exposed to AI. And and in terms of how they're using that and how they're going to change their businesses is super important. But it's not just those companies that are going to you know, adopt AI. It's everything in tech. And then it's every company outside of tech. Because if you're not adopting AI and, and making your business more productive over time, you're probably going to be a loser in your end market. So I think it's it's, this is the theme that's going to touch all companies across all subsectors of the market. I mean, look, just look at UPS today, 12,000 jobs going, but a real focus on generative AI coming from the CEO. Adam, I'm interested, therefore, when you're looking and anticipating the calls, the analyst calls with CEOs, what is it that you want to hear? Is it more about subscriber growth? Is it more about number of customers and overall market penetration? Or is it bottom line impact? You want to see the numbers? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the company, so it's hard to say definitively. But look, we're looking for, you know, every 90 days, these are report cards for these companies. So it's, you know, how are they doing on the revenue growth? You know, how are they doing profitability wise? Obviously, last year was a huge year for efficiency for some of these companies in terms of the pull forward that they saw during COVID on Mm -hmm. OPEX. So, so. You know, we need to see revenue growth from here. And, and a lot of stocks that we saw significant outperformance was multiple expansion in 2023. So you're going to have to see, you know, the true fundamentals actually drive these stocks in 2024, as your guest you know, indicated earlier. So I think that's what I'm looking for. And, and it'll depend on the company. But, you know, really, you know, a report card every 90 days. And, and you know, we're long term investors. We're trying to find companies um, that are going to be the winners over the long term. And those are companies that we've been investing in multiple years. We've cited these as big trends and, and we've been there for a while. And, and, you know, we'll see where things progress. But this is this AI is not going to be, a, you know, snap your fingers. It's going to take time. And so I think people need to be patient about it and, and see where things are progressing. And as long as they're moving in the right direction, I think people will uh, be encouraged about this theme. See how the execs can articulate it today. Adam Benjamin, really great to have some time with you. We thank you so much. Fidelity's tech lead there. We thank you. Meanwhile, coming up, look, 
Let's talk about underlying technology. Neuralink has its first ever human patient, bringing Musk's startup that little bit closer to its goal of letting people actually control their devices with their minds. We'll be back with more in a moment. But Ed, what have you got? Well, just based on what Adam was saying, here's a new name for you potentially, Super Microcomputer. Up 4% right now, have been up as much as 11%. It's a AI server maker. Think rack design and they've significantly updated their sales forecast for this year but the real reason i bring it up is this is a stock that's up more than 80 percent in the last 30 days more than 600 percent year to date over or over the last 12 months massively outperforming nvidia as an example but we don't really talk about it 29 billion dollar market cap one of the winners of what's happening in the real terms infrastructure play for ai this is bloomberg What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Musk's Neuralink has given an implant to its first ever human patient, bringing his startup a step closer to its goal of letting humans control computers with their minds. Bloomberg's Lynn Doan has the details and joins us from New York. I mean, Lynn, uh, this is the first step, but it's the step, right? We've been waiting for Neuralink to do this for a little while. What do we know about the procedure, the patient and, and what the point of this was? Yeah, it is the first step for Neuralink. And I don't know about you, but at this point in our adventures into neuroprosthetics, I'm impressed by any kind of brain interface implant. So I'll call this a win. Um, what do we know about the procedure? Neuralink's in particular involves a robot that funnels its way into a person's head. Sounds a bit terrifying, but it, uh, it, it uses a robot to implant a little chip that's about the size of a quarter 
And that chip is connected by thousands of wires and electrodes to the human brain. And in that way, it allows, hopefully, theoretically, the human brain to be able to control electronic devices with just a mere thought. And that's why those that have been, the patients that have been recruited are those with quadriplegia or those who suffer from ALS. In fact, Musk wrote on his own social platform, X, about sort of imagine Stephen Hawking being able to, well, be able to communicate far faster than a sort of speed typewriter. But he's not alone. Neuralink isn't alone. And we sort of let it steal a lot of the headlines, but there are other companies doing this. That's right. I was just uh, talking earlier this morning about a company, Synchron, who almost over a year now, announced that they had done the first brain interface implant in the United States. So certainly Neuralink is not the first company to enter into this era of actual implants. Now, what some would argue it is that it has more advanced technology, that the devices themselves are more, are more complex and more capable than some of the others in the space. It involves thousands of wires. Like, imagine what that thing looks like, uh, a spider with thousands of of legs versus some of the other ones who may not make use of as many wires. Once again, we'll see how telepathy, as the product's going to be known, continues to evolve. Brilliant, as always, to have Linda joining us. Volkswagen, VW, well, it's feeling the pressure of a slowing EV market and 2023's dim IPO landscape that's continuing into 2024. They're going to hold off on plans to seek outside investors for its battery unit. Now, sources say the car maker worries it won't be able to make its own batteries at the scale and is no longer prioritizing stake sales or a potential listing of Powerco business this year or indeed next. Now, this is fresh off Renault's similar decision to ice its EV arm listing amid market volatility. We're going to have a deep dive on the auto sector. That's next, Ed. What have you got? Yeah, there's a bigger conversation to have here. And sticking with the EV market, Mazda posted its best sales year since... Uh, best sales year and third best year overall today. They announced the release of a new vehicle, CX-70. President and CEO of Mazda North American Operations, Tom Donnelly, joins us to walk through their results and the latest launch. Tom, this is how I think about it. CX-70 brings you to the midsize SUV. You have uh, the full spectrum of hybrid options, but that's where it's at. It's a hybrid option. You're still not there with pure play EV. So in the context of CX-70, What's the strategy here? Yeah, so we're very excited about what CX-70 represents for our brand and our portfolio. As you said, we had our global reveal today. We look at, let's say, the electrification market as that of an intentional follower. If I look forward through 2030, we're going to have a full suite of electrified vehicles. And we have a three-phased approach to how we're going to introduce uh, plug-in hybrids and hybrid vehicles. So we talked about CX-70 in the introduction today. Last year, we introduced CX-90 with a plug-in hybrid and a mild hybrid version. And later this year, we're going to introduce CX-50 with a hybrid version as well. So we feel like we've got the right technologies for the marketplace today. And again, by 2030, we'll have a full lineup of electrified vehicles. Tom, one of the questions from our audience on X was, what happens if long-term the consumer just doesn't go for EV, that they do have a bias towards hybrid, and how would that impact your strategy? I think about the comments from Toyota, right, where they see this 30% cap on BEV and a future well, well into the future, multiple drivetrain formats. Yeah, again, I use the term multi-solution approach, and that's 
That's what we've been working for for a number of years, where by having hybrids and plug-in hybrids and then a full suite of battery electric vehicles as well, we, we think we'll be able to pivot to the market and what consumer demands will, will gravitate towards. So we feel really good about our overall strategy right now. Um, again, we're excited about CX-70, the, the mild hybrid and the plug-in hybrid, what that represents. And it, it's a new segment for us. It's a, it's a merging segment in the industry. So we're really optimistic about the impact it's going to have on our brand. And I can kind of see why you're optimistic, given your sales number in December, record numbers. I'm really interested as to what you're seeing from a consumer right now, Tom. We've just heard from Renault, as we're saying, VW. You've got, of course, GM being more cautious on out-and-out EVs. What are you seeing from a, a consumer adoption and desire to be spending on big purchases such as new cars right now? Yeah, the, the market still is strong overall. I mean, the industry is strong. There's definitely been a shift towards more, let's say, affordability. So we've noticed from earlier in, let's say, the calendar year. But you're right. We ended 2023 on a really high note, up 23%. And I would say it's not just the quantity, but the business quality for us as well. More specifically, we had our best customer experience results ever, our best owner loyalty results ever. So while we're growing the brand at a pretty impressive rate, 23%, um, this is on the heels of again, really strong performance across the breadth of our business. And where is that brand really penetrating at the moment? Is it about a U.S. user, a European user? More globally, are you thinking about China and indeed competition coming from there? Well, my focus is primarily in the U.S. market in North America. And again, we've achieved some really impressive results over the last four years. Each of the last four years, we've gained market share and obviously a very challenging time frame from COVID to supply chain issues. We've been able to, to really be very nimble and improve our performance uh, year over year. So, and, and we're really optimistic about what 2024 represents. We think if we execute our plan, we're gonna have our best year in the US market ever. Um, so we're, we're really optimistic about the outlook. Well, we want to thank you, Tom Donnelly. Ending on an optimistic note, Mazda North American Operations President and CEO, really seeing traction right here in the United States. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Let's look at what's happening in the world of Bitcoin, because it has been five straight months, well on line four of gains for this particular asset. Like we haven't seen that back since the heady days of COVID when everyone was plowing in their money in 2020. We're up 50% as you'll see over that course of six months. And a lot of that is to do with the spot Bitcoin ETFs. We've had volatility of late. Let's talk to Ophelia Snyder for her thoughts on it. Of course, president of 21 Shares, which offers crypto ETFs, ETPs for institutional and retail investors, including that recently launched spot product, ARK 21 Shares Bitcoin ETF, developed with Kathy Wood's ARK. And well, we have overall seen excitement, exuberance, perhaps a run-up and then a fall as people digest what really happens. But what have you seen in terms of flows and are they making you confident? Yes, is the extremely short answer to that question. At the end of the day, these flows have been really promising. It's one of the best ETF launches of all time. Um, we've seen north of $600 million in assets come into our product just in the last couple of weeks. That's really exciting because it's coming from a diversified base. Mm. And so while, yes, you're seeing some churn through legacy products, you're seeing movement towards um, 
new product in the market that actually has a lot of really critical features towards welcoming advisors into the community, um, which is ultimately, I think, how we're going to start to see the crypto ecosystem evolve from here. Of course, 21 shares is crypto native, and you've been doing a lot of the futures offerings already. You've been bringing the first ever ETPs related to these sorts of ETH and Bitcoin futures, and now, of course, the spot Bitcoin. What, therefore, of new spot products across other altcoins? So we've actually been doing this for, for more than five years. So we brought the first physically backed spot products to market in Europe about five years ago now, and we cover a very wide range of assets through that platform, and we run about 40 products outside of the U.S., so it's quite a big cohort, and there's a lot of technical infrastructure that goes into supporting that, which we're really excited about bringing to the U.S. I think in the U.S. it's going to take a little bit more time. I know we have some Ethereum applications that are out there in terms of uh, new ETFs coming to you market. Do you think the SEC will go with that? I think it's really hard to say um, at this stage. Uh, it's going to come down to how the arguments that were made in support of a spot Bitcoin product actually translate into Ethereum and, and what the maturity of that market looks like. We're obviously really optimistic about it and we're you know, looking forward to engaging with regulators on these topics. But I do think it's after in a new age of clarity, um, which we've seen in other markets around what these regulations look like and what that means for the development of crypto markets. And I think, you know, as we've seen over the last five years while we've been doing this, there's typically a, a process here where once things start moving, it becomes much easier to have that ongoing dialogue. Ophelia, there's a lot of data at our disposal to judge how is this going you know, Bloomberg crunched the numbers and across the 10 ETFs that are out in the, in the market, they attracted net $1 billion. But to me, that doesn't seem like that much. You know, after all the hype of recent weeks and months and all the investors around the world that weighed in and said, you know, we're looking at it, is a billion dollars a lot? What does it tell you about current demand or, or appetite to get into this? So what it tells me is it's very early. Um, I think one of the pieces that's often missing in these narratives around these ETFs is actually there's a, an adoption cycle. Just because a product exists doesn't mean everybody has access to it. It takes a certain amount of time for these products to be added to platforms, for advisors to get them through compliance and due diligence. Sounds really boring on paper. But the reality is that's when they're going to be looking under the hood and making sure these products actually behave properly. That's where you're really going to see operational excellence and expertise like ours come to the forefront and have those discussions as we bring these products onto advisor platforms. So for where we're standing today, the majority of the sort of uh, intermediated assets in the United States don't have access yet. What you're seeing in that net a billion dollars in, in just a couple of weeks is primarily being driven by either independent platforms or uh, quite a bit of retail, quite a bit of self-directed. We haven't yet gotten to the place where you're really seeing advisors or models begin to include these types of assets. You have to get through that diligence process. They need to sort of battle test them and, and make sure that you're bringing best in class infrastructure to these products. And I think that's when you're going to actually see that shift. But that process takes about three months. Philia, you wrote in your most recent newsletter about a Bitcoin dominated news cycle. What happens next? Another Bitcoin dominated news cycle? So historically, you see waves. Um, we're coming to we're sort of midway through a Bitcoin-dominated news cycle. The halving hasn't happened yet. Um, the halving being obviously when block rewards to miners reduced by half. 
uh, which is expected in April. I think through that cycle, you're typically going to see a lot of focus on, on Bitcoin or on what we would call blue chips. You've seen quite a bit of focus on things like Ethereum and Solana in the last couple of months, uh, both from uh, you know, the crypto native community as well as from uh, advisors and investors outside of the United States who have access to these investment vehicles. So I think that's been very interesting. We'll likely see that. Um, typically, you start to see more interest in, in alts, especially initially the larger ones, but eventually down that longer chain as you get further into uh, a more positive cycle for crypto assets. So I do think we'll likely stay in Bitcoin for a little while longer, but that will likely expand from there. Ophelia Snyder, president of 21 Shares, warning us we're only halfway through a Bitcoin-dominated news cycle. More to come. Thank you very much. Now, coming up on this program, we're going to dive even deeper into that news cycle and into the crypto investing landscape with Chris Dixon, founder of the A16Z Crypto Practice. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, we were just talking about the dominance of Bitcoin in the lexicon of crypto recently. But what about the broader Web3 space? Where is the investing happening at the moment? I've got the perfect voice. Chris Dixon, founder and managing partner of A16Z Crypto. It's the VC fund at Andreessen and Horowitz that he founded in 2018. $7 billion in committed capital dedicated to crypto, to Web3 technologies, but also on the author of a new book exploring the impact of blockchains on the future of the Internet. It's called Read, Write, Own, Building the Next Era of the Internet. It's out today. Chris, it's a joy to have you on, and congratulations you, on, me, I'm sure, a labor of love. Yeah. That labor of love is trying to talk about some of, shall we say, the cultures within crypto. Thus far, Bitcoin, crypto more broadly, has felt like a culture, as you put it, is like maybe the casino. It's more about investing. It's more about speculation. When does it become about usability, utility? Yeah, and so that's what my book is about. It's about the productive side of blockchains, not the sort of speculative side that you see so much attention focused on. I believe that blockchains can be the foundation of a new era of the internet. So the, the internet has become increasingly consolidated. consolidated. The, 
um, top five tech companies account for 50% of the NASDAQ market cap, NASDAQ 100 market cap, up d double from what it was a decade ago. The, you know, Google and Apple have a duopoly on mobile operating systems. The top 1% of social networks account for 95% of social networking traffic and so forth. I think blockchains are the only credible technology for countering that consolidation and returning uh, the internet to its original ideals as, a, as an open and democratic network. So that's what my book's about. Not the kind of speculative side, but the productive side. And that's why the entrepreneurs I work with are excited about the space. That's why we're investing in the space. And so I wanted to tell that side of the story because I didn't feel like it had been heard enough. Because, I mean, you come from both sides. You made your name with great bets on Kickstarter, on Pinterest, but then you really started to double down in the areas of Coinbase, Solana. I mean, the list goes on of some of the exposure your portfolio has now, Uniswap. Yeah. Where is the energy going? And how much is that, dare I say, starting to dovetail with the new explosion of AI, for example? Yeah. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're, I view blockchain as an expansive technology where you can build games, social networks. A lot of interesting stuff is happening around new ways for creative people to um, make new income streams. So, for example, by selling digital collectibles to their audiences. Make music. Which is, yeah, like music, which is particularly important, I think, in an age of AI, because AI, I think, will put downward, you know, generative AI lets you create content very cheaply and therefore will put downward pressure on a lot of creative people's business models. And so I think it's a very important time to create new business models. Another example with AI are things like deepfakes, right? So we're seeing the internet, you know, more and more deepfakes. Uh, I think you're gonna see more and more sophisticated things like phishing attacks. And in that world, uh, having a system where you can have, one of the things that blockchain is very good at is keeping sort of the provenance of a video. So you can say this video came from Bloomberg and you can cryptographically prove that. And that can be very important in a world where, you know, what was once ground truth video now becomes unreliable. So look, and by the way, I'm very pro AI. I think it's very exciting. But I do think it's important to have counterbalancing technologies. And I, and I believe blockchains are, are counterbalancing technology to AI. Chris, I want to go back to kind of the origin of the rationale behind blockchain, right? So if I apply this blanket term DeFi to everything that we've just talked about, what's the conclusion you reach in the book about your own attitude towards the promise of DeFi? Yeah, I mean, so DeFi, that, you know, of course, refers to decentralized finance, which has been an interesting area. You know, I think like with finance in particular is a highly regulated area. And so I think, you know, we've been working um, very, you know, very hard on sort of policy matters and trying to put forth proposals. And so I think for DeFi, to re I think there's a lot of really innovative stuff that happened in DeFi. And I think people underestimate how successful in a lot of ways it was. So, for example, with all of the market volatility of the last couple of years, these DeFi protocols like Uniswap and Compound and others um, performed perfectly, did not have issues. Um, um, that said, I think to sort of realize its true potential, we have to figure out ways for DeFi to expand beyond kind of the, you know, the internet culture into the broader world. And I think that raises, you know, that's, in that case, it's very important to work with regulators, to work with existing institutions, to work with, you know, exchanges and all the other kind of participants in the broader financial ecosystem. Chris, what happened to the, the ecosystem of startups then last year? Caroline and I look at all the backward-looking data shows that if you look at it from a, a venture back deal count or dollar perspective, 2023 was a more difficult year. How did your funds perform and what were the lessons you learned through that? Yeah, we're, we're regulated RIA, so I, I'm not allowed to speak about our own returns. But I will say that, that um, you know, my view, if you look back kind of at the history of technology, is that innovation and financial markets are, are pretty independent. And so, for example, you know, Facebook and YouTube were started in the sort of post-dot-com uh, after the dot-com bubble in the crash, you know, Microsoft was started in Apple in the 70s in a very high interest rate environment. Um, so, you know, if you just kind of look at I get, what we do, mostly early stage investing, and we think that 
we really look for technology trends and how they're moving and less sort of the day-to-day -day movements of the financial market. So we've been very active. We've been continuing very consistently to deploy capital. We find great entrepreneurs. I, I'm very excited by the entrepreneurs that we see in the space. That's what I try to talk about in the book is just all of the new and exciting ideas. I, I really feel like that some of that story hasn't been fully told. And so I wanted to represent that and, and show kind of all the new things that can be built using this technology. So when you are thinking of how much you've deployed already, are you able to give us an update of whether that cadence is growing at the moment, whether you've deployed most, whether LPs are like, yeah, we love it, we're going yeah. to commit more? Uh, well, we, we, we have, a, I, I don't know what exactly we are disclosed from a regulatory point of view, but we have plenty of, you know, we're, we're, we're well capitalized and we're excited by, we, like I, the way I look at it is if great entrepreneurs walk in the door, you know, we have capital and we will give them capital. But we don't try. We don't have sort of a pace and try to put money out out to work if we don't find great people and great ideas. But we, I think, lately especially, you know, there was sort of obviously like FTX and a lot of you know sort of negative things that happened. I, I see a real kind of renaissance beginning in the uh, at the early stage with innovation and just new ideas. And so I would expect that we would, you know, I, we have been, and I would expect we continue to remain very active in the in the early stage venture, you know, in the activity. Chris, it's an election year mm -hmm. and policy, future regulation, future legislation has been a discussion for your, for your industry for some time. How do you approach your lobbying efforts this yeah. year or your communication with both sides of this election race to build a long term? Yeah, you know, I started going to D.C. a few years ago to sort of talk to policymakers about these topics. And one of my realizations is that big tech, big banks, uh, lots of other kinds of uh, parts of the economy are well represented in D.C. We felt that small tech, that startups, did not have proper representation. So we as a firm have decided that we, you know, we are an institution that can help with that. And so we've decided to get more active in politics. We're taking a bipartisan approach. We, uh, you know, our, our stance is pro-tech, pro-startup. Um, you know, I think that a lot of stuff, particularly around blockchains and crypto, is playing out in courts. And the problem with courts is it takes many, many years, and that creates uncertainty. And uncertainty is, you know, deters good actors and attracts bad actors. So, you know, I, I would argue that the right way to sort of approach tech policy is to look at a technology holistically. <laughs> Every technology has bad things and good things about it. AI does, you know, crypto does, and the right policy, you know, sort of cr is crafted to maximize the good and minimize the bad. Um, and so that that's what we advocate for. I'm interested in ultimately where you're seeing this renaissance coming, coming from and happening. By its very nature, often those that are building in crypto are decentralized as well. And yeah. the application thereof, I think of Sky Mavis and yeah. how Axie Infinity just blew up in Asia in particular. Mm -hmm. Where is the excitement right mm -hmm. now? And where do you invest? Is it always yeah. in equity? Are there token investments that you still want to make? Yeah, we do both. We do, so we do equity and token investments. The, um, in terms of location, you know, New York is actually, I would say in the US, is sort of the hub for, for this, for blockchain activity. But it's, very, it's really a global movement. It's happening all over the place. You know, China's doing a lot in Hong Kong. It's a lot of, a lot, Asia's very active, Korea, Japan. Uh, you, we just opened the UK office. Uh, there's a lot of things in Europe. So it's, it's a very global movement, I think more so than most technologies. Um, and I think that also maybe um, skews some of the perspective in the US because like a lot of the technology, for example, stable coins, which are basically digital dollars, um, are, are very popular. There are six, 600 billion in transactions last month alone. And a lot of that happens around the world. And we don't see it as much here because we have, you know, you have your, your credit card, you, you have your Fed and your credit cards, you know, the, the, finance, the payment systems work quite well here. And as you know, we obviously have access to the dollar, but that's a very popular product around the world. So it really is a global movement.
Chris, we have 10 seconds. Do you hold Bitcoin or any other digital tokens personally? Um, gosh, I, I, look, I'm very bullish and, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I do have a lot. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about my particular holdings, but I'm very, I, I do have a lot of crypto, yeah. All right, Chris Dixon, founder, managing partner over at A16Z Crypto with a book out today. Great to have you right, on the thank program. You. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Carol. Time now for Talking Tech. And first up, IBM is giving its U.S. managers who are still working remotely an ultimatum, either move to a location near the office or leave the company. This according to an internal memo seen by Bloomberg. Managers must live within 50 miles of an IBM office by the start of August. And social media platform X is reactivating searches related to musician Taylor Swift. Searches for her name were temporarily disabled after explicit AI-generated images of Swift made the rounds on X. Other public figures have recently become targets of deepfakes, and that includes President Joe Biden. Plus, TikTok is testing a new feature that would make video posts shoppable. The feature will use technology that can identify objects in a video and encourage viewers to find similar items on TikTok shop. The spokesperson confirmed the feature is in an early test. Karen. Let's get more on that from the person who's been writing all about it, Bloomberg's Alex Barinka. And before we delve into some of the focus of Washington in social media land right now, focus on where they're trying to evolve. I mean, so what, any any post that I put on TikTok, they can hunt maybe the makeup that's behind me or whatever I might be wearing? In theory, that's what this test would do. Um, TikTok's technology basically looks at the post and they'll see, hey, you're trying on a lipstick or you're walking your dog with a leash and link you to a shopping page filled with items that are tagged with quote, similar to the video. Now, this is really interesting and a departure from how shopping works on TikTok right now. Right now, currently, uh, brands and creators and influencers who are approved actually go in and tag products to their videos. And while that's got a lot of people to purchase on the app, it's also got some users complaining. These influencers and brands are obviously incentivized. They want to drive revenue or make commission in the influencer's perspective. So there is some complaints there. Layering on this technology, though, um, will kind of ensure that these videos are not just people trying to sell you something. You could actually shop from something that is not making a sales pitch, but just a video of interesting rocks uh, that a geologist is sharing on the Internet. The user sort of response is interesting because there's the items themselves. Some of them are not legit. And then in some cases, according to your reporting, the tech isn't working 100 percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, there have been issues with both counterfeits and copycat items that we've written about, particularly in the beauty space. People purporting to sell brands like Charlotte Tilbury when it is not, in fact, a brand like Charlotte Tilbury. Or there are examples like the one I saw before I wrote this story where I mentioned a geologist showing off rocks. Well, uh, the technology tagged a bunch of nail products and <laughs> rings to that particular video. Um, so if you're somebody who enjoys precious gems, uh, I don't know if if nail polish is the right product for you. <laughs> so it does seem to be that this is going to be an evolving process. As I, uh, you mentioned, this is a test for them. But what this would certainly do is kind of supercharge their e-commerce push. I've been told by people familiar with the matter that internally at the company, commerce, particularly in the U.S., is top priority. So it seems like they're trying to pull out all the stops to get people purchasing off those entertaining videos on TikTok. 
And of course, we wait to see what the leaders of these businesses, not just TikTok, but X and Instagram Meta more broadly, what they have to say on Capitol Hill tomorrow. I'm sure we'll be checking in with you then. Alex Barinka, we thank you so much. Meanwhile, and that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology, Ed. Yeah, thank you to everyone this week that told us you listen to the show as a podcast. I find that so interesting, Caro. Keep messaging us. Tell us where you watch the show, how you listen. But the pod is on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and of course, we put it on all of the Bloomberg platforms. Don't forget also that we are a live TV show and we love it when you tune in. From New York City and San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.